0: As parents, we are often annoyed by our children's behavior. That's just a fact. And when you know what that behavior is a symptom of and you can dial in to the symptom, that is gold. Our guest today will tell you how. We appreciate you supporting our sponsors and now on voice.
1: This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison.
0: Let's face it. As parents, we often get annoyed with our children's behavior. And no, then me, I'm we,
1: perfect. Perfect.
0: Yeah, I know you are, Jen. Our listeners also know that you are. <laughs> we jump in to stop the behavior or solve it just so we can get on with the next thing that needs to happen. But what if, rather than focusing on their behavior, you were able to shift your perspective towards understanding that the behavior is only the symptom? It provides the clues to what is happening in your child's entire nervous system. And that lasting change happens when we understand their unique brain-to-body and body-to-brain connections. Our guest today, Dr. Mona Delahook, a child psychologist, and many of you know her as the author of Beyond Behaviors, has provided the tools you need to shift from compliance to connection in her new book, Brain-Body Parenting, How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start Raising Joyful, Resilient Kids, which after reading it means you'll be a more joyful and resilient parent too. And of course, we all want that. Welcome, Mona.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Janet. I'm so happy to talk to you today.
0: So excited for this conversation. You know, you're, let's just start. Your, your latest book describes this brain-to-body connection. You call it top-down. But even more importantly, the body-to-brain connection or bottom-up as that missing piece that we need to make sense of our children's behavior.
2: Well, I, I just loved your introduction because you, you caught what I am trying to bring into the parenting literature. And that is, I, I'm seeing this as kind of the second generation of parenting that focuses on the whole child. And we've had some amazing parenting literature come out about the brain, right? Right the uh, the importance of the brain and helping our children learn to think about things differently in ourselves. Mm-hmm. But what I found is that I started off uh, many years ago actually as an infant and toddler specialist, or I became an infant and toddler specialist. And when you go into that training, it's not about top-down thinking because you know, our tots cannot sit on a little couch and tell us what's on their mind, we have to read their bodies. Mm -hmm. And that led to uh, just this exciting discovery that our nervous systems, our bodies send feedback to our brains all the time. That's the only way we are in the world as humans, right? Because our brains are are not, uh, they don't have eyes and see everything out. It's all of our systems that feed information to the brain. We have these bodies for a reason we have these bodies for a reason. These bodies have to survive and those survival instincts, which can on a dime, make our heart race, make us want to move, make Mm -hmm. us yell or scream are also protective and adaptive. Once you understand what the child or us, us ourselves is managing inside that feedback up from the body. So we we are looking at the whole the whole nervous system as a way to customize our parenting and and also get like you said have more compassion for behaviors and less fear of them because we we really want to focus from just focusing on the behaviors to focusing how each child uh perceives understands and uh interprets essentially their their world, including us. We are part of their world.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: mm-hmm. it's interesting. We know,
1: as parents, as adults, we want to feel good. We don't want to feel bad when with our ch- when we're with our children, and we all know those feelings. Like when your kid starts acting up in the aisle at the grocery store, and you just feel that coming up. It's a terrible, terrible feeling, and none of us like it. Which is part of why we get annoyed with our children. We don't like those feelings. We forget our children
0: want to feel good too. Yes. Yes. And they're feeling the feelings and they even more than us don't know what to do with them.
2: That's right.
0: Because they are only on the road to something
2: called Mm self-regulation, regulating or controlling, calming yourself down. I mean, honestly, how many adults do we all know who are still on that road? I'm still on that road. I'm still on that road. Every day.
0: Every Every day. day. Yes.
2: Difficult. So this whole idea, but I have to say, Jennifer, I like, so in my bones, understand what you're saying, because we are constantly feeling judged and observed as parents, especially in public. It is, uh, there've been studies that show that parents feel judged like over, over 90% of the time they feel judged. And, and
1: frankly, that was even before social media became as prevalent as it is oh. like, you know, your first children and my first children, that was more than two decades ago. Now, the world has changed. Now, anybody can post about my terrible air quotes parenting at any moment, which is oh. terrible. Terrifying. It's what? terrifying.
2: It's just not the the lady behind us at the grocery store or the neighbor, like like, um, no, 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 bad parents. <laughs> oh, no. it's so much. I feel for parents so much. With social media, it's exponential.
0: So I love that you have described green zones, red zones, and blue zones to kind of because you know how do I understand where do I begin to understand what's happening in my child's body? I barely know what's happening in my own. And so this is a way to kind of understand a roadmap for understanding what your child is presenting to you. And I I just love how it it really encourages parents to be observers really astute observers of your children which fosters connection
2: which fosters connection and if you can be an observer but through a new lens through Mm -hmm. this lens of maybe not thinking about behaviors the way you were raised or the way even the school your child goes to says Mm -hmm. that you should look at your child this is a whole New lens that views human adaptation through the lens of the nervous system, and how we have, like you said, these three um, main pathways in our autonomic nervous system. Now, just let me say, the research on autonomics is so interesting, and it's actually more complicated than the three, but they are user friendly. And I've checked it out with the top uh, neuroscientists in the world, and they're all like, that's fine. As a model, these Three main pathways are useful ways to think about it. So I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm a translational child Mm -hmm. psychologist, right? But here they are. So we can think about our bodies, our autonomics, which is basically our autonomic nervous system is our automatic nervous Mm -hmm. system. We don't will our heart to beat or how we're breathing or how we're digesting food. It's all happening inside of our bodies. So the three main neural pathways that support us in this process are the following. I don't use the scientific names, we just use colors. So I in the green, a person is feeling calm. We might say regulated. Uh, you can see it on the body. Their posture is, is um, not tense. Their facial, facial expressions might have neutral expressions, but they might have laughter or joy, or there's this capacity to learn. People, humans want to play when they're feeling calm. They want to communicate. They're looking at you or occasionally looking away and looking at you. And these features of what we call calm alert attention. Janet mm-hmm. is in green right now.
1: I am, I am in, in green so right green. now.
2: So, so green. I am too. <laughs> i right? just surrounded in green because we're all like talking about this wonderful topic and our bodies are feeling safe. Mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. So let's just say all of a sudden some rock comes through my window. I would go from feeling green to feeling red because my body would be detecting threat for my survival. What would happen? My heart rate would increase. My, I might get sweaty palms. I'd probably jump off this chair and leave the room and say, ha, ah, I got to check this out. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> right? Yeah. And And this pathway is is known as the sympathetic nervous system, the red, we'll call it the red pathway, where we are put into action. We tend Mm -hmm. to want to move, uh, move our bodies, fidget. That movement might be yelling or screaming. It might be for a child, um, aggressive behaviors, agitation, kicking, hitting, fighting, spitting. Yeah, those automatic and non-volitional or non-intentional behaviors that we tend to think about as intentional but these are body up behaviors and let me just say that it doesn't have to be it's in the it's in the body of the beholder so i give you an extreme example of a rock coming through my window Mm -hmm. but for any of us it could be something as invisible as being in a loud bouncy noise classroom for three hours where all of a sudden the nervous system is just going from green to red and you can be the the tag on my shirt the
1: seam on my pants or like my when my sock gets twisted in my
2: shoe and it's rubbing it can be those things. It can be those things. I was playing with a toddler the other day and her pants got wet. So they changed her pants and all of a sudden everything was crying. No, horrible. Ah, And it, we thought it was the play, but then we noticed, we observed because observation is, is so important that she shifted her state when they changed the pants. Sure enough, there was a plastic tag inside and for this little one she had oh, extreme tactile sensitivity on her skin took the pants off she was playing and and fine so it's in our bodies and that's one of the th- and so that's in the red i'll I'll talk about what it means for our parenting but that's the red one
1: of the things I love in your book and in the your discussion right now you mentioned that red there's this connection between the red state and action we are we feel compelled to move. And as a parent of boys and for our listeners, I think that is so important to understand because when boys are moving in ways that to you as an outside server, you're like, why are you doing that? This makes zero sense. It usually does make sense
2: for them. This Mm -hmm. is their way of coping with the red state. Absolutely. And it's the red state coming in beyond their awareness to inspire them, to compel them to move so that they can get back to the green. But it's the opposite of how our culture looks at it. So typically, and boys are especially targeted. Even nowadays, I can't believe that they're still targeted. Yes, you know, Jennifer, like I'm hearing in my practice all the time, much more often than girls. But sometimes if a boy is too agitated and moving in the classroom, then they may get docked on recess time. Yes. Yep. still. they do that, right? It's still the
0: happening. Opposite.
2: It's the yeah. what they
0: need. I love that you advocate instead of timeouts, because that's often our tendency is like, get this child away from me, away from the situation, whatever it is. You advocate. Instead of a timeout, a check in, checking in with them. Because as we're saying in this red zone, we don't know what the, what the trigger is, what the catalyst is. It could be as simple as the teacher's going to ask me a question.
2: Right. Oh, that's so good. It could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as I'm wondering who's going to sit by me at lunch. And Mm -hmm. the thought all of a sudden sends a cascade inside the body. Of this threat response. And pretty soon the child is just fidgeting, moving around, bouncing on the chair. And the teacher might say, That's distracting. Could you please stop?
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: rather than looking at that child and going, Hmm, interesting, he just went from kind of calm green attention to it looks like he's red. In fact, his face is a little bit red too. He's mm-hmm. activated. Let me let me go check this out. Sweetheart, are you, is everything okay? You know, would you like to mm-hmm. would you like to take a moment to walk around or go grab a drink? I mean, this is compassionate way of looking at movement rather than this judgmental way that Punitive. a child is choosing to misbehave or choosing to mm-hmm. be obnoxious, which mm-hmm. I really don't believe children do. Go ahead. Let's make
0: sure we get the blue in here oh, thanks. Yeah. before we get off on more tangents because oh, tangents, a yeah. good conversation.
2: Yeah, like you said, in the check-in, we really like to look at these Checking our our child our own state and our child's state. What pathway is the child on? So that third pathway is the blue pathway. It's part of uh, that parasympathetic nervous system, which is actually there to. It's it's pretty serious because then if a child is checking out and the, when they're in the blue, they're dampen down. They are not looking at people or looking to play. They tend to feel hopeless in their body. They may be isolating it to an extreme. And I'm talking about weeks or months, not, Mm -hmm. you know, in a given day, we're all cycling And we, we expect to cycle through these colors in a given Mm -hmm. day, right? Mm -hmm. We want to remain in the green for the majority of the day. We don't want to be in the red for 80% of the day. In the blue, this is a, this is where the body is actively conserving energy. And we can see things like almost immobilization. Look at that and make sure children who are, who were there living there for quite a while get some help. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that so interesting reading about
1: the blue because, you know, like green, feeling good and calm. That makes perfect sense to me. Red to me is kind of that fight or flight stage, which I was aware of. That makes sense. And I'm like, but I, I don't really go there very often. And then I read blue and I'm like, oh yes, yes. Blue, that explains where I have been for the last weeks and months. And actually I think a lot of parents and adults are kind of in blue right now. You know, blue is, you, you do have a little bit of hopeless. You feel kind of just exhausted and almost paralyzed and numb and it's difficult to do things. And, you know, I cannot be the only person uh, in this conversation and listeners who feel that way after dealing mm-hmm. with pandemic oh. for so long.
2: Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Jennifer. And I, I have never seen more parents in the blue in my entire career than I have in this Mm -hmm. last year and a half, two years. Actually year and a half, because in the first six months of the pandemic, people were like, okay,
0: I think we
2: got this. It's kind of novel. We'll we'll get through this. But I'm so glad you said that. And I think many of us do have more of those days where we're like, I'm not getting out of this hole today. Yes. This, This is dark. And It's because we don't feel like we have a sense of agency or control over the pandemic, and it continues to baffle even scientists, so we don't know where the end is. For humans, uncertainty is very stressful. So,
1: And as somebody also, you know, my children are in their teens and young adult ages right now. I see some moments of blue in them right now as they're going through this too, this sort of disconnection and I know that it is developmentally appropriate for teenagers to sort of you know do a little bit of isolation and time off on their own but um hmm. your book is acknowledging that this is a this is a state a physical and emotional state that humans go through it is normal
2: yes it is a protective It's an adaptive state of our nervous system, and it's an indicator of stress loads. So actually, if you see your child or feel it yourself, you are witnessing the power of human resilience because those states are there to protect us. And maybe... Uh, we need a little con- a conservation of energy in order to start getting in the red and green again. But we just want to be aware of it because sometimes when you're in the blue too long, you start to not want to engage with other humans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've experienced this myself. Sometimes when I'm feeling too blue, it feels mm-hmm. like it take too much energy to call a friend. And I think that for our teens, think about, and young adults, the, the goal of young adult and teenagerhood is to be out in the world. And we are telling our teens, be very, very careful if you're out in the world. In fact, wear masks and don't, you know, don't kiss or hug or worry. You know, what I mean, all this stuff they have to deal with that we did, never did when we were launching out into the world as teenagers and young adults. So my mm-hmm. heart goes out to them.
0: I think this speaks too to the and I want to make sure we talk about how we talk about self parent self care right every parent's heard the heard it over and over again you have a whole chapter in your book about the importance of self care and I want to weave that into what we're talking about is recognizing our our children's zones but also our own and you you liken it to a budget this episode is sponsored by by heart babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed,
1: use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about ByHeart baby formula. ByHeart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And ByHeart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula three-month supply of Easy Melts Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try.easymeltz.com
2: t-r-y, forward slash onboys.
0: To a body budget.
2: That concept I just love. And actually, the concept is from um, one of my favorite neuroscientists, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. She talks about a body budget, just in a way of understanding our bodies, like in a bank that Finances are budgeted, right? You have withdrawals and you have deposits, and our brain is constantly running a budget for our bodies. The scientific word is allostasis, but it's how we maintain stability in our physical body. So our body is always budgeting glucose, oxygen, water, salt, keeping our blood pressure, all those automatic things, right? Everything we do in the world, every hug we give, or every, every time we reprimand someone or say something very hurtful is either a deposit or a withdrawal in our body budget. So that's why I wished I could say that our nervous systems didn't matter to our children's well-being. Mm-hmm. I wish I could. But neuroscience tells us differently. And it doesn't mean we have to put more pressure on ourselves, for sure, because in that chapter on self-care, I talk about we are a tool. We are the main tool. I think on some instinctual level, especially mothers know this, that we matter, that we matter to our children's survival because we are, you know, we are so linked on a cellular level. But as a tool, we have to also be separate enough to not absorb what our children are feeling and become them because then we can tank our own nervous systems and Everyone will go down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. what I want parents to think about right now, though, is really I thinking self-care we can think of in micro moments. And so I'm not thinking about going to a gym, going to get a massage, all those things that first of all, you may not be able to do now. But second of all, you (laughs) may not have the privileged position to do that. Mm -hmm. But we can all take a breath, a little bit of a longer exhale for three or four times for some people that helps uh, the green pathway feel a little more robust. We can put our feet on the floor and feel our feet on the floor and look up at the sky and see that there's a sky Mm -hmm. and see that there are clouds there but the clouds never stay, they never last forever. The clouds come and go. And these kind of little things that we can do and we feel like we are just swimming through the slog of endless stress is to find small moments of ways to nurture the coziness for ourselves, because then we can nurture these moments of, of connection with our children which is gold right now, it's golden to have moments where you're joking around or laughing or maybe playing a game, those kinds of things. I know it's hard to do that right now. But they're really healthy. They're big deposits in our human nervous systems.
0: You talk about body budgets, you talk about challenge zone. And I also want to get to the expectation gap too. Mm. So I love these, these concepts. They're so, so important. What is the challenge zone? The challenge zone is that
2: it's really hard to know. I think for, for, it was hard for me to know as a parent, I think it's hard for parents to know how far do you push a child or have these expectations for them that are healthy for them and help Mm -hmm. them to grow? Because we know that we don't grow new strengths uh, without a bit of stress. Mm -hmm. And what that means is stress only, only means your brain is saying, oh, this is something new here. Right. So if everything maintained the same and we never got our brain, never got the opportunity to say, oh, this is new. Then we would be we would be just slogging along, but we wouldn't learn new things. So the challenge zone is determining What sort of expectations we place on our child and including the activities they're in and what we're asking them to do cognitively and and sports-wise and otherwise, is this enough to help them grow new strengths? And yet, is it not too much so that we're constantly throwing their body into the red zone in which that can now decrease resilience rather than increase it? So, so for
1: instance, yeah. if you were to take me to a pool with an Olympic swimmer and be like, okay, go, I am way over my head. I mean, I can swim in that. I won't drown, but I don't have the technique. I don't have the stamina. I don't w- have whatever. And if I'm trying to keep up, I will quickly be overwhelmed. I'll be in the red. It's like,
2: I can't do this yet. Yes. Yes. But if Oh, you take I me... love that example. And how many times I just flash through my head, like I go to a, like a, a, a dance class or an aerobic class. <laughs> okay, I have two left feet, right? Yes. And within 10 minutes, I'm literally in tears. I'm in yeah. the blue, red, and I'm out of there because I am just feeling so anxious and mm-hmm. so embarrassed. <laughs> but if you go to a
1: different class with a different instructor... Oh. He really breaks it down. Okay, we're going to do, like, just arms first. Okay, arms. You got arms. Yeah.
2: And we'll do the arms for, like, 10 minutes till we get that. They will add one foot in or one leg in. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, you know. Fault. So, yes. Yes. It's
1: but how that- do
0: we know this with our kids when we sign them up for karate or we sign them up for gymnastics class and they love it the first day and then they don't want to go back or you know soccer all of the things or school and we're in school for sure but how do you know and I think I mean school is a little bit different because you have to go to school but soccer you choose to go to soccer basketball sign them up for that thing and they want to do it but then all of a sudden they don't want to go. Yeah. And so the question yeah. it comes up often with the parents that I work with is, you know, do I make him go? Do I let right. him not go that day? How do we gauge in this situation that challenge zone?
2: Yeah. So we use the colors and we use our power of observation first so we don't make any any quick decisions, we become good observers first. And that would include, look at the child, say it's a, um, say it's a a soccer, a new soccer team. The first uh, couple practices, they were in the green, they were going, they're kind of excited, coming home, they were hungry. And then on the third one, all of a sudden they're saying, I don't want to go today. And you're going, huh, so instead of this being this rah rah cheerleader saying, hey, you loved it last time, come on, let's just get in the car and go. I'd say, let's just be curious first, because being witnessed is a very important part of helping someone stay in a little bit of a challenge. So they're like, oh, tell me more, sweetie. Um, tell me about last time, or tell me like, tell me a little, you know, try to be get a little bit more information in a very neutral way so that you're just gathering information and maybe the child will say will give you a clue maybe they will be like the coach told me that this time I had to dribble the ball the whole way across the field and I'm really scared about that mm-hmm. or something maybe there's something going on that we don't know about mm-hmm. that's making that child's red come up red pathway blow up and their body is saying no pushing mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. but there we use that's where we can use our green pathway to co-regulate. Co-regulate means share our our calmness. And, And first of all, witnessing is very powerful. So what I would do is observe for a while and then see in that day. It's like, hey, I hear you. That sounds like, wow, that sounds like that's been on your mind a lot. And let's go and check it out. Let's see what happens. Are you willing to go and just see what happens this time? And then give the child that, depending on their age and their developmental abilities, of course, but we really want to give, let them be active problem solvers with us. We don't want to solve the problem for them. Mm-hmm. But if that red gets high and stays high over several practices, then we know, relatively speaking, for this child, the cost on the body budget is getting pretty high. And we don't want that child's brain to start predicting that team sports are, aren't are horrible. So then we want to maybe go into an active step of making sure this is the right team, the right coach, and that they're getting enough support so that they're green, light green or light pink, right? Not full Mm -hmm, on red the mm -hmm. whole time. So Mm -hmm. we actually use their nervous system as a guide, both in the moment, but over time and using our own sturdiness and our own compassion and witnessing and warmth as uh, a way to help them learn to tolerate these uncomfortable feelings that we all get, but children especially get them.
1: One thing that I've found as a mom of boys is that they're often really good at stretching themselves. They're really good at stretching their skills. They want to try things that are just beyond what they can do, but a lot of times, well-meaning parents and teachers and childcare providers stop it. We shut it down. We say, no, no, honey, you can't climb that tree. You're going to get hurt. No, honey, you can't whatever. And what I've noticed is when that happens a lot, the kids, they kind of stop trying, like, what is the point? Mm -hmm. And so I found as a parent that it can be really helpful to get curious very early on when a kid expresses an interest in doing anything, whether or not I think they can do it or not, get curious, and then let them have a go at it if possible. Now, I'm not saying you, you, know, you let your three-year-old climb a 14-foot tall tree with nobody around. I am not suggesting that at all. At our house, we had this one particular tree out the window, which was the tree that everybody wanted to climb. The rule was you had to be able to get up there yourself. So like you couldn't just have mom or dad or big brother boost you up in the tree. You had to get up there yourself. They got extremely creative with the solution. (laughs) There was a small, uh, small ladder, you know, like the two-step ladder that got pulled out but that's problem solving and that's Mm -hmm. challenge zone. And that's them Mm -hmm. challenging themselves. So I really encourage our listeners to watch carefully what your kids are doing, because there may be a lot more independent discovery of challenge zone than you realize.
2: Ah, brilliant. I just love that. Thank you, Jennifer. And we get bombarded with all the things that can go wrong. And I don't like to stereotype at all, but maybe mothers are a little bit more cautious than fathers. We are. We are. Come on, we are. I, you know, I Mm -hmm. I was that cautious mom, and it was I was very grateful that uh my, my my partner would be like, go faster. Come on, move it. You you got a helmet on, go, go. You know, and sometimes that kind of exuberance and and, or quiet support, like, uh uh-huh, try it. Let's see, Mm -hmm. let's see where your body can take you. That's golden, no blame or shame for parents. I know (laughs) every parent is doing the best they can, but I have worked with parents to help some of them increase their own challenge zone of what they can tolerate.
0: Mm. Seeing oh, your yeah.
2: child do nice. so that we don't inadvertently hold them back f- because of our own fears. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I love that you have uh chapters divided by age. And as a soon-to-be grandma, can't wait. Our listeners know that we're we're getting close. I'm oh. um, a
1: little excited too. I don't just, know if you're picking that up. Oh. No,
0: I'm excited, you guys. As we're recording this, we're maybe in the two week, three week zone here. So yay. But you have a whole chapter on newborns and helping, helping understand their nervous systems. You have an entire chapter on elementary age children. And I love that you have a whole chapter on toddlers because this can be the most challenging time of parenting because you've got these little ones who have the verbal skills they've got the ability to try to climb that tree in Jen's yard and yet it can change it can change so quickly and you're wondering like well they could do this yesterday or they they can talk so surely they understand what I'm telling them so talk about Toddlers and that expectation gap. I think this is a really that's the
2: perfect place to talk about the. I want
1: to pause for just one minute here because this book tops out with school age kids, and you know that that I have these teens and these young adults. Everything in the toddler chapter applies to teenagers. (laughs) Let's go.
2: Wouldn't you know? Uh, This is why it's called toddlerhood. It's called the first adolescence, the first teenagerhood wouldn't you know so yes okay let's just say that that's true and um very brilliant people who have Studied, uh teenage brains like Dan Siegel, tell us that there are a lot of different changes that happen in, in the teenage brain. But that'll be another book that that'll be maybe that'll be my next book. But I love toddlers, and I adore them. Uh, and I think they're very poorly understand not only do I think that but this natural study by the Zero to Three Foundation found out that Over 60% of parents believe that toddlers have certain skills. For example, the ability to inhibit what they want if, to do something that they know is wrong, the ability to not do that, to inhibit their behaviors and their emotions. Most parents of toddlers think they have that ability when, in fact, that ability is just beginning to develop really in three and four-year-olds, and it continues through early adulthood. So the expectation gap is thinking that another little human is able to do something when in actuality, through their own developmental process, they're not there yet. And toddlers fool us because just like you said, Janet, they can walk, often most of them, they can talk, they can can even reason with you. They can have a little debate sometimes like why they want to cook, why they want a cookie instead of, uh, you know, a piece of, of uh, old dry Turkey. I mean, they can, they're amazing. They're amazing, but they're still baking in their development. So uh, likewise, a toddler, it's very common to have toddlers have a tantrum over something that we think is minor, like, honestly getting the wrong color dish or cup for their to have their delicious lunchy on, you know, and all of a sudden you, you present food, you know, they like, on, and they were expecting a red cup, but they got the blue and it's feels like a catastrophe. But if you see this child toddler go 60 in less than a second, you know, it's the red pathway. They're not mm-hmm. sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is weird. I was expecting blue, it was red. It's called a prediction error. Toddlers only have a certain small set of of life experiences in order to predict their life correctly. And a prediction error is very costly to a toddler because they don't know how to manage Mm -hmm. that I was expecting one thing and I got another. And that includes brushing my teeth, the type of toothpaste, where I'm going to go, when I'm going to go to bed, it can include everything. And it's why parenting toddlers can be, depending on the child and their reactivity can be extremely exhausting.
1: When we talk about the expectation gap, I think it is really important to acknowledge that generally speaking, male development proceeds at a slower pace than female development. So it is extremely easy for parents, teachers, daycare providers, and others to overestimate what a little boy can do. He may not be able to do this thing that you're asking him to do. And this thing could be sitting for 10 minutes in circle time. This may be beyond his developmental level at this point in time.
2: I'm so glad you mentioned that because we do know Boys are targeted more for behavioral infractions in preschools. And I should say also on an equity issue, black and brown boys are targeted even more. So yes, thank you for, for mentioning that. It's, you know, it's just an interesting part of the mystery of development Um, uh, in the differences in genders and in uh, how someone unfolds. That's not to say that you may have a a boy who doesn't crave movement and who is very passive. That happens too. But we do have children who are expected, and most of our preschool teachers are female, how we have these unrealistic expectations and we need to understand more about child development. Heck, pediatricians are given like a month and a half on infant and toddler social and emotional development. Preschool teachers often have no and 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 teacher. Kindergarten teachers mm-hmm. often have no experience in development from birth to five. So there's a big national push for training. And I'm just so glad you brought that up. We really want our our people who take care of our children to have proper expectations and to nurture uh, our children, our boys, and let them know that we know they're trying to do well Mm -hmm. instead Mm -hmm. of giving them that look or that tone of our own voice that's kind of edgy because we're feeling in the red it's like <laughs> been there on done food, that <laughs> go save. Yeah. like get with the program and try harder please yeah. we've all yeah. been there i was that way as a mom i i wanted my children to survive in the world and i wanted them to know that they had to work hard to do that yeah but i was often before i had my training i was often working under that expectation gap gap myself. So we have to be gentle on ourselves. Yeah.
0: So I, I often tell parents of young children, if you're, if you're parenting a four-year-old boy, you can think of him in some aspects of his development as a three-year-old, as a two and a half year old, it can be, you know, this difference of chronological age and those expectations. And you can absolutely guarantee that probably that four-year-old boy is going to be in a way different place of development than a four-year-old girl. And it's not wrong and it's not bad. It is simply what is. And when we can adjust to that, i work with a lot of teachers and, and it's like the look of, amazement on their faces when they finally hear this information that they haven't gotten in their training. It's like, oh, that makes so much sense. And then the adjustments that in expectation can begin to unfold. So we, we absolutely need to be talking about this more.
1: I have been reading this book over a period of weeks and absorbing these lessons and trying to incorporate them into my life as you are probably picking up by now, listeners, there's a lot here and it's a lot of useful stuff and we can't cover it in our time. So I really, really, really encourage you to find a copy of Mona's book. It is brain body parenting, how to stop managing behavior. And doesn't that sound wonderful and start raising joyful, resilient
2: kids.
0: So Mona, tell our listeners where they can find, connect with you.
2: The book is available for pre-order and it will be released on uh, March 15th.
0: Great. Oh man, this is the parents you want this book. Where else can oh, where well, else can you. parents connect with you, Mona?
2: It's been so fun to talk to you today. So parents can find me um, on my website, monahook.com. And I'm at Facebook, I'm on Facebook, um, Dr. Mona Delahook, Instagram, Dr. Mona Delahook, and Twitter. Um, I love interacting through social media and I just love posting latest research, my translations of it, and most of all ways we can support each other, ways we can support our kids. So I am so grateful for this opportunity to talk to you all about this new book, which is, I hope will reduce suffering and increase joy and um, connection for parents with their kids.
0: I think you're on the right track. Thank you, Mona.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Listeners, Jen and I have both read this book, and I highly, highly recommend that you pre-order a copy of it. It's a great one to add to your library. Jen and I appreciate you supporting our sponsors. Thanks again for being our listeners. And if you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. We are Janet Allison and Jennifer L.W. Fink of boysalive.com and buildingboys.net.